1: News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade.
2: Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hope you had a great weekend. one 866 408 The number to be on the show. We'll have an opportunity for doing that next. Uh, will Hurd will join us, uh, former Texas Congressman, cybersecurity expert, officer at the CIA, author of American Reboot He's going to be with us. And I, I thought he'd be the perfect guy to put in perspective what's happening in Texas. Also, what's happening with the Republican Party, a lot of things breaking uh, their way, even though you would not know it. Because when certain polls go their way, people just don't cover them, even if it's their own poll. Uh, we'll discuss that and take your calls. And meanwhile, we're also watching. I understand that some of you are more concerned, especially we have so many stations. Uh, affiliates in Florida. Many of you concerned there because the hurricane is going to be hitting. So uh, let's put your mind at ease and talk about things that matter most to the American people with the Big Three.
1: Now with the stories you need to know. It's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by Crunch Fitness. Interested in owning your own business in a growing $30 billion industry? Check out Crunch Fitness at crunch.com. Number three. I think that you're actually seeing it in Iran. You're seeing it in Russia. You're seeing it in China. People mm-hmm. are rising up. All of them have
3: Anti American sentiment. Kind of encouraging to see the countries that are most anti American having as much trouble. It's not so bad over here about comparison. yeah
2: Historic opportunities. That's how I see it for America as we watch riots crop up in Russia and Iran for the horrific abuses of their own people. And for Russia, the Ukrainian people as well. The latest on the riots and the war, a war Russia is losing.
0: Number two. When you ask registered voters what issue is at the top of that list and you see inflation and the economy, that all points to an extraordinary set of challenges for Democrats trying to keep the House in the Senate.
2: ABC's Rachel Scott being honest. The economic thunderclouds are gathering and we are all feeling it. Even if the Biden administration does not acknowledge it, the polls are in and the numbers are housing, are on housing on stocks, on inflation, have all us, have affected all of us, and all of us are concerned.
4: Number one. The key numbers that I looked at was the president at 36 on his approval rating. 74% of the people in the poll said the economy is bad. It's the top issue to 84% of the people. That's all bad news for the Democrats in that poll.
2: And yeah, I, I just don't know why ABC Washington Post doesn't talk more about it. Six weeks until the midterms and the Dems got devastating numbers. It's president's approval rating below 40. The Republican Party gained substantial trust advantages on crime, immigration and the economy. What does it mean for the red wave? We'll break it down uh, along with the most intriguing midterm matchups. I'm talking with that in the Senate. So how do I know things are serious uh, for the Democratic Party? Because abortion's sixth and the things that matter most. Yes, I know a lot of females have registered of all different ages because of uh, the Dobbs decision, which led to the the, uh, rescinding of Roe v. Wade. Now the states will decide what the abortion rules are. Okay. Uh, Don't worry about it in New York. Don't worry about it if you're in these blue states. It's the red states. It'll be affected. Having said that, it's a June story. It's a story matters. I get it. You know, depending on where you are, it it matters. But if you are looking at the issues that matter most— this does not rank. I'm telling you, it does not rank as high. Uh, first, we're getting uh, everyone talking about the economy. Then inflation. So 80, so in this uh, ABC poll, registered voters, 85% are concerned about the economy, 79% concerned about inflation and rising prices. Then 77% on schools. That explains why people who have dropped the ball and what, what Governor Young can use to win in Virginia, now our Republicans are talking more about education. Now look at these issues. Don't tell me that Democrats have these issues. They don't. And it's not because the Republicans are better at messaging. They're not lunatics when it comes to the economy. They're not looking to put $1.9 into an economy that was already recovering with the Recovering Act. They're not crazy enough to try to dupe us into thinking the Inflation Reduction Act would actually reduce inflation. Instead, it was really a green energy act, a new green deal. And because of the spending, combined with they were upping interest rates, we're all affected in some way, shape or form. Our housing has lost on average 20 percent of its value. We had J.P. Morgan Chase's Jamie Dimon saying there's going to be uh, the there's thunderclouds gathering over economy. Now, who do the voters trust when it comes to these major issues? Fifty six percent trust crime Republican Party on crime. Fifty four percent on the economy. Fifty four percent on inflation. Forty five percent. Uh, On immigration, think about that. Immigration's now looming. That even uh, that even got Gavin Newsom critical of being critical of his own party. Cut one.
5: We are getting crushed. We are on the defense over
2: and over and over again. It's immigration today. It was CRT yesterday. It'll be ESG. Look that up tomorrow. They consistently push us against the wall. We have no compelling alternative narrative, and that's on all of us. Well, you know what? My words exactly. He's a good speaker. He obviously is comfortable with the copy because it's the facts. But it's not the Republicans that are doing it. Crime is not a Republican idea. We're witnessing it. Inflation is not a Republican idea. We're living with it. The economic response is a Democrat. It's the people's response with the, uh, with the re- Democrats are doing It's not a great marketing campaign. There's no Karl Rove pulling the strings. There's no maestro uh, trying to undermine anybody. Beto O'Rourke to the Texas Tribune at the Texas Tribune Festival brought up uh, what's going on at the border. Cut to
5: candidate Biden didn't spend a dime or a day. In the Rio Grande Valley, or really anywhere in Texas, for that matter, once we got down the home stretch of the general election, you got to be locking eyeballs with the people that you want to fight for and serve, and whose votes that you want to win. And,
2: and it is true. Look, when abortion broke, and Donald Trump said it, Republicans said, it, "Oh my goodness, they were not ready. They were not ready to catch the car, and they were not ready to do what they've been talking about for 40 years." And that's get behind pro the pro life movement that got them to this point, and got conservatives on the Supreme Court. But having said that, we're used to it now. It leaked out, I think, in March. We finally got the decision in June, July. And now we're looking at September and major issues. Chris Christie sees it the same way. I think Chris Christie can break down political moves and mores better than anybody, cut nine.
4: I think the further you get away from the Dobbs decision... And closer to the midterms, the less of a motivating factor abortion is. And obviously from these numbers, the more of a motivating factor the economy is. And and I understand history is this way, as Julie said, and we better pay heed to history. It's going to happen again when you have a bad economy. That is what people vote on. They don't vote on anything else because that's what affects them and their families every day.
2: So what the Democrats want to do is run on abortion, Trump, and just to make Republicans too evil to elect And that's what the president brought up about three weeks ago. He reaffirmed in that ridiculous Independence Day speech. He said in various other locations and in other people have walked back. I don't mean everybody. I just mean MAGA Republicans. Well, for the most part, everybody, every Republican, except for a a handful of moderates, and they agree on most, agree with what Donald Trump ran on and what he did. They're not against his approach on trade. They're not against his approach on crime. They're not against his approach when it comes to Iran. They're not against his approach with the Abraham Accords. They're not against his approach with tax cuts. That's what the MAGA movement is. But they want you to think MAGA will give you uh, January 6th. It's not the case. It didn't stop the newest operative within the Biden White House from speaking out. Keisha Lance Bottoms, cut 12.
0: What we see again with this MAGA Republican agenda is an effort to disrupt our democracy. So whether it be through November and beyond November, I think it will always be important to call out any effort there is to destroy, essentially destroy the United States of America.
2: Yeah, uh, we'll see. destroy the United States of America, running the issues I talked about, not being for the rescue package, going along when it comes to minor gun legislation. I don't think that's That's detrimental to the health of the country. A lot of people are upset that they signed 15, signed on to the infrastructure deal. We need an infrastructure done. But they thought if they signed on to that, they'll never get billed back better. Joe Manchin caved for no reason, didn't get anything in return, is trying to get some, um, I guess, some fossil fuel legislation passed. Republicans aren't in the mood and Democrats aren't on board. So it looks like he was 100 percent duped, which is crazy. So we'll talk about that when we get back. I don't want to eat up all your time. 1-866-408-7669. I'll talk about what is also going on in Iran and Russia. You know, sometimes you, you try to manipulate foreign policy and get influence foreign policy, and it doesn't work. And sometimes you just watch, and you can't, you can't believe how fortuitous it is for American interest. And I'm talking about Vladimir Putin's horrible way that he fought the war with a terrible army and his— Uh, I guess, conscription of 300,000, which he claimed are reservists, but they don't really exist, causing the mass exodus of young people from his country, brain drain from his his cabinet. And now you have even his loyalists speaking out at the highest rankings of the Politburo and riots in the streets, not to the point where they're looking to overthrow the government, but how they expect to get hundreds of thousands of of uh, Russians to fight in a war that they don't want in an army they don't want to serve, good luck with that. They are arresting protesters and putting them into the military. What kind of fighters do you think they'll get? And in Iran, the horrific way, and they treated this woman who wasn't wearing her hijab right, hijab right, whatever it's called, uh, they end up killing her. And a lot of it's caught on video. And widespread riots, some have say, worse than anything we have seen. When we come back, that, as well as your thoughts about the economy, how it's affecting you. And do you believe the red wave has really been stopped? I don't. I don't at all. I did for a while. Not anymore. It doesn't mean that the Senate's going to go their way necessarily. I will, will break down those uh, match-by-match uh, matchups from New Hampshire to Arizona to Pennsylvania and Ohio now. The challenges are still there. We'll see how it comes out. You are listening to The Brian Kilmead Show.
1: Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmead.
2: This episode is brought to you by
6: Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com specialoffer special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer.
1: He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade
6: they also know that crime is a huge vulnerability for democrats i would say one of the biggest vulnerabilities and if you look at pennsylvania for example what's been interesting to me is it's always you follow the money and where are people spending money and in pennsylvania the republicans have been spending millions of dollars on the air on crime ads against federman right. because that's where they see his vulnerability so yes the economy is hanging over everything right. but you do have to look at state by state factors and crime is a huge issue by in the way, pennsylvania race
2: yeah that is true but Fetterman also has other vulnerabilities, for example, fracking and what it's done and how they pre- even the president, now president, but then candidate was afraid to say he'd cut off fracking in Pennsylvania. And now uh, this guy says he'll do it. He wants a third of the prisons emptied. Of He says people don't belong there. This guy is pro-criminal, and that's the problem. I think it's a problem, don't you? In Pennsylvania, you can call me, one I think the major problem, the reason why Oz isn't up right now, and I'm not sure he's not in a dead heat or slightly up, but right now he's not predominantly up big time because Federman is such a bad candidate who can't speak because of his stroke. And can't do the job, let's be honest. He his events last between five and 10 minutes. He usually makes no sense and leaves. And he is pro criminal, anti fracking. He is Bernie Sanders in a hoodie. That's it. So that, to me, it reeks of vulnerability. When he's got his name recognition, then when you look into his background 40 years old without a job until he became lieutenant governor. When he was a mayor, he was in absolute embarrassment. He lives in a house that his sister pays for. And don't act like he's an everyman. This guy's an Ivy League grad. He's just flat-out lazy. But Fetterman uh, fired back at Tucker Carlson because Tucker Carlson said, what are you doing with these insulting tattoos, these temporary tattoos? Uh, That is not professional. Essentially, says, well, I've got tattooed on the people that were gunned down because of gun violence in this country. We'll see where that goes. I don't understand that Super PAC aligned with Senator Mitch McConnell withdrew $9 million in ads from Blake Masters. Are you nuts? You know that Kelly, even though he's got this great resume, has been useless as a senator. You know that's purple-slash-red state still. And a recent study of Arizona voters conducted by uh, Trump pollster Tony Fabrizio says that Masters, who was then eight, I might even be closer. And listen, he's got to establish himself. He's a Trump candidate. Trump should be writing checks, too. I'm not sure why he is not. But I don't think it's up to Mitch McConnell to decide it's not worth my time. Does he want to be majority leader? He's already 80 something. So, uh, the down ballot, the Cook Political Report moved the ratings of two competitive Arizona seats into the Democratic column. Tom O'Halloran, one of the most vulnerable Democrats, whose seat was re- re- redrawn in a plus eight district, uh, is competitive with Eli Crane, who's a special operations officer. We got to get him on. Eli is a, came out of the military, became a very successful business person, and then decides to come back into Congress. Uh, I, we'd be better off with a guy like him in Congress. And Republican Carrie, uh, Carrie Lake is doing very well. Uh, running for the governor, try to replace Brian Ducey, who's term limited out. So we'll see where that goes, and we'll see how that goes. But for the most part, the president of the United States handling the economy is 36%. His overall approving is 39%. Our Americans were asked this, on the current rate of inflation, are you upset? 45% of the country upset by, by what with the direction of the country is right now and by inflation in particular. So Anthony Salvato was is with CBS. He's been on here before. He believes that abortion is still a hot issue, and he believes that migration, illegal immigration, is something that the Democrats got to, I guess, lean into, but I don't think it's a good area for them. Listen to the CBS director of elections. Cut for it. The other
8: thing they kind of want this election to be about is immigration. There's a big part of the Republican base, almost 9/10, 87%, who like the idea of moving migrants from border areas into democratic leaning areas. Wow. Why is that important with the base? Well, to the extent that this is a turnout election, it's important to motivate your base. And OK, Republicans really like that. It's much more mixed with the rest of the public. But they specifically like it for one reason, that they think it calls attention to the problem. And to the extent that it's putting that more on the radar, it is for independents, for other Republican voters. And again, back to the idea of what is this election going to be about?
2: Right. And that's why DeSantis doing what he did is so brilliant. See, oh, it's cruel, it's not cruel, it's the reality, understand it. It made everybody talk about it. Even Beto O'Rourke was forced to talk about it. So if you want to be governor of Texas and you think, well, Governor Abbott's being cruel, uh, cruel? really? What is cruel? Telling people it's okay to come by not showing that they're being kicked out if you are kicking them out, which you're not. But you say you're kicking people out who aren't worthy, yet most of the people getting on these buses and getting off in New York and Chicago seem to be young males that should not be eligible for this relocation project. And now pretending that communism is the real, is the real, the real thing that's causing the surge of the border when we know that's not true. As we told you before, Jen Psaki came out, Beto O'Rourke came out. Uh, against what the president's been doing because what the president's been doing is hurting their chances. Rachel Scott, an NBC congressional correspondent, talked about the challenges that the both that both ha- houses have, both the Senate and the House have to keep the majorities cut ten.
0: Yes. Is abortion energizing Democratic voters? We've seen that. Obviously, the special election right here in New York, Pat Ryan won his special election in a critical swing district when he was down in the polls by campaigning and making abortion a central issue. Kansas, a conservative state, votes to protect abortion rights. But when you ask registered voters what issue is at the top of that list and you see inflation and the economy and you see 74 percent of Americans say that the economy is in a bad state right now. And not only that, you have independents thinking that Republicans would do a better job of handling the economy. That all points to an extraordinary set of challenges for Democrats trying to keep the House and the Senate.
2: I think so. I mean, you wouldn't know, but I think she's being honest, especially because she looked at the ABC poll and was asked to sit on a panel where you had Donna Brazil just trying to spin it. that Everything's great. And Joe Biden's been a genius, one of the greatest presidents ever. Fact is, the Dow, two years of gains, were gone. That was official on Friday. We dropped below 30000 Housing now under attack. Interest rates over 6%. If you're about to buy a house and your rate currently is 3%, let's say, why would you sell that house? You're never going to get a mortgage like that, maybe ever again. The so-called shelter inflation, surging home prices and rents facing uh, far outpacing the rise in wages. Homes overvalued. Moody's Analytics says more than half of America's largest regional markets are significantly overvalued. Ouch.
1: Information you want. Truth you demand. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show.
6: Look, I think that Democrats, if the election is about uh, who is the most extreme, um, as we saw you know, Kevin McCarthy touch on there with Marjorie Taylor Greene, I'll say her name, sitting over his left side, then they're going to win. Mm-hmm. Um, if it is a referendum on the president, they will lose, and they know that.
2: That is Jen Psaki, who came out off actually as an analyst rather than a partisan, in my view. On their Sunday show, I don't know how long that'll last, but that was her debut on the network show. I believe she's been on MSNBC before. Will Hurd joins us, former Texas congressman, um, cybersecurity executive, and officer of this officer of the CIA, author of "American Reboot." Will, welcome back.
9: Hey, Brian, It's great to start the week off with
2: you, my friend. Uh, good, uh, same here, Congressman. First off, what do you think when Jen Psaki comes out and says, "If this is about President Biden, Democrats lose"? I, I would—that's true. I was surprised to hear her say it. Well, well,
9: I hadn't heard that clip until just now, and and I thought I misheard it because um, it's shocking that she's being honest, and and the answer is correct. Uh, you know that that I, I never thought that I'd be agreeing with a, a hot take um, by by Jen Psaki, but but here's the reality: she's right because you look at one of the most important issues, um, the economy, right? Jobs in the economy, inflation. You, you can lump all those things in together. It's about Uh, People being concerned about putting food on the table a roof over their head and making sure that the people they love being healthy and happy and safe. Um, This is this is an area where President Biden has 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 been terrible. Um, Inflation has gone up. He wants to say that the administration doesn't have any role in that. Well, fiscal policy, uh, how you use taxes and how you deal with regulation, that has an impact on our on our on our economy.
2: And so so this is where he's getting bad marks. Right, I want you to hear more from Jensaki. Cut six.
6: They also know that crime is a huge vulnerability for Democrats. I would say one of the biggest vulnerabilities. And if you look at Pennsylvania, for example, what's been interesting to me is it's always you follow the money and where mm-hmm. are people spending money. And in Pennsylvania, the Republicans have been spending millions of dollars on the air on crime ads against Federman right. because that's where they see his vulnerability. So, yes, the economy is hanging over everything, right. but you do have to look at state by state factors. And crime is a huge mm-hmm. issue by in the way, Pennsylvania race.
2: And it's going up. Uh, crime is now third in most polls about what people concern most about. Congressman, you, at the CIA, you're fighting global crime. Here domestically, uh, almost every city is dealing with something that's overwhelming.
9: It, it is. And, you know, I, I had an experience recently, I was in Los Angeles meeting with some friends, and my friends in L.A. were talking about how they have to pay extra money to retired police officers. Um, So that if they ever have to call 911, somebody will show up. And there's an arrangement with 911 that they call these retired police officers because they know uh, the current ones won't show up because partly because they're overwhelmed, right? Like, that's crazy that communities are having to resort uh, to pooling their resources to in, in order to be protected in their own homes, um, and, and and this this issue also uh, resonates uh, to me in in South Texas um, is a border security issue uh, for for folks that live on the border. Border security is a is a, a public safety issue, and you know even Democratic mayors and county judges. We've talked about this a lot. Are frustrated with with how bad um, these policies of Joe Biden are. That is that is fueling um, the border crisis and the amount yeah. and volume of illegal immigration.
2: I know some Republicans are divided on this. I'm not. I, I understand the frustration. I've only been there three times, and I I, and that was two years ago. And I was overwhelmed by what I was seeing. And that's when Border Patrol was trying, and administration was efforting to stop the influx. and They were having measured success with it. Uh, At the border, but this, they're not even trying to fix it at the border. How do you feel about Governor Abbott and Governor DeSantis shipping these uh, illegal or these migrants here illegally uh, to these blue states and blue cities?
9: Well, well, I, I get frustrated when people that are more focused on, on the governor's antics and the broader problem. Um, some people, if you're, if you're going to call putting people on a bus or a plane and shipping them to a nice part of the country, cool, then you got to call having 14,000 people living under a bridge in a 100-degree weather, cool. That happened last summer. Uh, it's cool to have detention facilities, uh, that are overcrowded by three times capacity. That's cruel. Releasing a thousand people on the streets of El Paso. That's cruel. And these are these are this is this is. We need to be focused on the real issue. I wish these cities, these mayors, these um, governors from you know Illinois and and Massachusetts and and New York would tell Governor Abbott, hey here's the number of people we can accept and help you process, um, send them to this location, or even better yet, we're gonna be the ones to send the buses because we know the communities in Texas are having to bear the brunt of this for the entire country, let us help out. I wish those were the kinds of conversations right. because we actually have an opportunity where you can have red states and blue states and and and, and red governors and blue mayors Uh, working together uh, on 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 what is truly an an actual crisis
2: it is and here is i want you to hear a guy that you travel the country with beto o'rourke uh here's what he said cut to
5: candidate biden didn't spend a dime or a day in the rio grande valley or really anywhere in texas for that matter once we got down the home stretch of the general election you got to be locking eyeballs with the people that you want to fight for and serve and whose votes that you want to win So a lot
2: of them are saying that now, more of them anyway, about what's going on at the border, because you can't say that it's not a problem when 7,000 people a day are coming through in Texas alone, let alone the thousands are coming through in Arizona, it's destroying the lives of these small towns.
9: It it, it is, and it's not just these small towns, it's it's people. So last year, when you take the number of people that were, in essence, arrested <clears throat> and subtract the number of people that were deported. Okay, in in that in that one calendar year, President Biden basically grew the population by San Francisco. Right? Absolutely. So you you added you added San Francisco of people that were here unlawfully. And yes, you know, it, look, uh, asylum is real. Asylum is something we should be we should be supportive of but asylum is also being taken advantage of by people that are not part of a protected class they're not being um they're not being um, persecuted in their home country if you look over the last uh, i want to i want to say it's 20 years if you look at how many people that go through the entire immigration course system um, to get a asylum approved the number is about 40 percent and and that is that is um, influenced by a couple of years where the numbers were, you know, the approvals were in the 70 because there was not many people going through. Um, so, so this is what is, is is ultimately causing a problem and it's showing people that this you're, you're, you're circumventing the traditional process of, of growing. Of, right. of growing our economy. Immigration is important. I'm pro-immigration. We sh- if you're going to be a hardworking member of our society, let's get you here as quickly as possible. Let's do it legally. And that's where that's where we should be focused.
2: If I can, I'm talking to Will Hurd, com- former congressman from Texas and uh, former officer in the CIA. So can I tap into your knowledge of what could be going on in Russia? You know the mm-hmm. Ukrainians are having great success right now, and it seems like Vladimir Putin's is getting pushback from two top uh, lawmakers, at least two top Russian lawmakers who are against this mobilization of, of the 300,000 reservists who don't exist for the most part. So this woman who chairs the Russia's upper legislative chamber, uh, and a man who, um, uh, Vladislav Vol- Volodin, another Putin ally, has been very critical of him. Uh, he is actually a speaker of the Russia's lower chamber, speaking out against this mobilization. Some of the right want him to do a total draft but it's causing chaos in their country. Thousands streaming towards the borders. Uh, this country had protests, 1,300 protests over the weekend, and we see the success Ukrainians are having. Tell me what the American people should know about Vladimir Putin's hold on his power.
9: Look, uh, all of this can be summarized in, in a phrase we have down here in South Texas. No bueno. It's not good for, for, for Vladimir Putin. A, in an authoritarian government, Um, public opinion matters when it turns to public outrage and this is what we're seeing. You also got to realize that if he's trying to call up 300,000 people that had formerly served in the military, that means they haven't been been training. They're not prepared. This is not the kind of fighting force that is going to have any major impact um, on on the battlefield. So this is definitely a sign that Putin is frustrated and the fact that you have public protests, and then you have people within power uh, speaking up, that portends as potential more. And, and the real question and the real place that we need to be watching is some of that inner circle, the senior leaders within the military that look and in, in potentially frustrated. Um, yes, there are some hard, hard, um, uh, hawkish folks within the Russian government. That thinks that Putin needs to call this an, uh, a, a military a- action and, and an invasion. Stop saying it's an exercise. That, they, that he needs to be even harder. There's some of them, and there's others that realize that things are spiraling spiraling out of out of control. But here's what we have to remember: Vladimir Putin will use nuclear weapons. You think so? And, and, and he, look, he would. I shouldn't say will. Will's the wrong word. Would use nuclear weapons. It's part of their, um, it's part of their military planning. Um, this is something that we have to take him on his word as something that he's willing to do and, and what we need to do to prepare for that. And I know the White House has had back channels with Vladimir Putin on this particular issue. We have to be very clear to him. That if he were to use any kind of nuclear weapon, a tactical nuclear weapon, that could have a a impact smaller than some of the the destruction and death that we've already seen, right? That's that's the reality. That they have so, they have nuclear weapons that are so small, uh, so tactical that you it may not be as disastrous as, as what's already happened. But we need to tell them any use of nuclear weapons is going to be met with overwhelming force. I think at a minimum, we should say that all of Russian troops in Ukraine will be destroyed and pushed out of Ukraine. That the, the rest of the world will come to the aid of Ukraine and have that debilitating... Uh, are
2: you saying we uh, should say that. we're going to put our own forces in there?
9: I think I think we, there's a lot that we can use that doesn't require us putting, in essence, boots on the ground. I think we can use some of our, our overwhelming um, air superiority to help the Ukrainians that doesn't put... Uh, americans in harm's way but there are a lot of resources and tools that we haven't been given the ukrainian that we could that would allow them to destroy all the russian forces that are in their fo- that are in their, that are in their uh, territory
2: well that would be very interesting and- lastly the iranian uprisings they said they're bigger than the 2008 uprisings they happened with the murder of this woman who didn't have her uh her headdress on right uh, they said she had a heart attack. Not, not possible. So we're seeing all these protests in Iran. Are you are you optimistic that this is something that could uh, gain momentum?
9: Look, I'm, I'm hopeful that it can gain momentum. Um, we see that the Iranian regime is cracking down. They shut off the Internet. And look, I, I, I will say and that we're trying to start um, it Biden- up again. It, absolutely. And this was, this was a, a positive mood, mood, uh, move, I think, by the Biden administration and Treasury to allow um, American companies to provide services in Iran so people can communicate. Uh, the fact that um, women across Iran and, and all 31 provinces are, are leading this um, and, and are frustrated. And, and here's, here's, what, here's what is interesting for me. Um, you have progressives in the United States and Europe that are finally coming around to being supportive of, of of strong measures in Iran. People are now saying we shouldn't get into an Iran deal. And if Europe and America gets back into Iran deal, this is playing into the hands of this Iranian regime. So, so this is creating um, a, a, a agreement amongst the far left and far right, in not just in the United States and other parts of the world. Which I think is a good thing to have the pressure we need to see change um, in the Iranian government. I hope this this is um, this is not going to fizzle out the way the the the, the green revolution. Um, did and this is something and thanks for bringing it up and and keeping focus on this because the more uh, we keep focus and attention on this the more it can possibly grow and get support to the people that are protesting in iran
2: but will heard i just hope we do not continue with these uh ridiculous nuclear negotiations and we are jake sullivan made it clear anthony blinken as well uh sadly uh, because it's a a total force uh will heard always great to talk to you when do you going to decide what's next for you
9: Look, it's a good question, and we got to get through, we got to, you know, uh, thinking about anything other than the current election cycle doesn't make sense. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm not on the ballot this cycle, but we'll see what happens in the future.
2: Okay, uh, Will Heard, thanks so much, Congressman. All right, buddy, take care. You got it. When we come back, we'll take your calls. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show.
1: Want even more, Brian? Download the podcast at BrianKilmeadShow.com. Every episode, exclusive interviews on demand. More of Killmead coming up. From his mouth to, to your ears, it's Brian Kilmead.
10: It's a problem for all of America, Will. Make right. no mistake about it. I just want everyone to know that this is really insidious. The, the average mortgage is now $2,400. One year ago, it was $1,600. Mm. The average house a year ago was $400,000. Now it's $547,000. Most Americans have been shut out, completely shut out of the American dream. And the sad part about it, it didn't have to happen.
2: And that is, um, you know, Charles, this is, uh, that is a look at our economy right now. And if you look at some of these numbers on our economy, I don't think I have to tell you, you already made your own decision about the health of uh, our economy. But if you see what is actually happening with these numbers right now, 57 percent of the country disapprove of it. Forty five percent say they color themselves very upset by it. The average gas prices have ticked up for the last 3 days that usually is not a good thing it's up to $3.71 even though the president says it's going the other direction I'll add something to that Jamie Dimon in one in his testimony no one's talking about it but JP Morgan Chase CEO he predicted an economic hurricane are you kidding me an economic hurricane because inflation's going up and spending is too high And a soft landing for high inflation, they say, is not going to be easy. So something's going to happen. Most economists said we've never been in this place because we are still spending for some reason, even though mortgage rates are going up and things are slowing down, but not to the degree that they thought. Why? To me, not being an economist is because we got all that free money. We don't feel the fact that we're supposed to stop spending. We don't feel the fact uh, that uh, our accounts are going to be depleted because— The dollars that we were given are worth less, less, and we were given it through the pandemic, through PPP loans, a money we didn't have that we actually printed. They say for the most part, 72% of all home prices are too high. The overvalued uh, uh, areas that are overvalued the most, Austin, Charlotte, Las Vegas, uh, and Phoenix, 210 of the 413 uh, markets that were listed as a boon are now overvalued, and they will plunge. The question is how fast, how quick, and when will they bounce back? So when people in charge are using terms hope and we think, it gets me worried, especially when the president of the United States says everything that I just said is just inaccurate. And he wants to focus on abortion, Donald Trump, and January 6th. I don't, even though they're going to give another shot at making Donald Trump the story when they talk about January 6th one more time. Hey, go to BrianKilmead.com. Find out how to see me in uh, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, as well as Brandon, Mississippi, November 12th and 13th. BrianKilmead.com. Go there now.
1: From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest-growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmead.
2: Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you from 48th and 6th in midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country, heard around the world, especially in the Ukraine. And maybe listening in Iran, because we've put in that Elon Musk system, that Starlink system over Iran. So when they go to shut down the Internet to stop these riots, uh, hopefully we can fire it back up again and let the Iranian people stand up for their own country. Jim VandeHei is going to be joining us shortly. Uh, The CEO and co-founder of Axios, co-author of Smart Brevity, The Power of Saying More With Less. And by the way, he's just done. Axios is a much must-read for me, and most likely for you because you're probably passionate about uh, the country and about politics. If you're listening to this show, and it just gives me a great idea of not only what's going on, but where to where to continue, where great stories are being written uh, and to follow up on to expand on. But they do it briefly and succinctly. That's why this book's so perfect. And then Britt Hume at the bottom of the hour. Ah, uh, Brit Room, bring perspective about what's going on with these extraordinarily important midterms. So let's get to the big three.
1: Now, with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's
8: big three. Number three, I think that you're actually seeing it in Iran. You're seeing it in Russia. You're seeing it in China. People mm-hmm. are rising up. All of them have anti-American sentiment. Kind
3: of encouraging to see the countries that are most anti-American having as much trouble. It's not so bad over here by comparison.
4: Yeah.
2: Vivek Ramaswamy on with Bill Maher last night. Historic opportunities. That's how I see it for America as we watch riots crop up in Russia and Iran for the horrific abuses of their own people. And in Russia's case for the Ukrainian people, the latest on the riots and the war, too. A war Russia is losing. Number two.
0: When you ask registered voters what issue is at the top of that list and you see inflation and the economy, that all points to an extraordinary set of challenges for Democrats trying to keep the House and the Senate.
2: Rachel Scott weighing in from ABC. The economic thunderclouds are gathering, and we are feeling it, even if the Biden administration does not acknowledge it. The polls are in and the numbers are on housing stocks and inflation have all of us affected and concerned.
3: Number one.
4: The key numbers that I looked at was the president at 36 on his approval rating. 74% of the people in the poll said the economy is bad. It's the top issue to 84% of the people. That's all bad news for the Democrats in that poll.
2: And what the former governor of New Jersey was saying—36 percent of his, that's his approval on the economy. Six weeks into the midterms, and the numbers in many cases for the Democrats are devastating when it comes to crime, inflation, and overall on the economy. And now immigration—is the red wave back on? Uh, we'll well wait and see. A lot can change uh, over the course of weeks. Uh, Jim Vanderhyde joins us now. Jim, congratulations on Axios and all the success. You took a big risk leaving uh, Politico. Did you think it would be this successful?
7: Uh, First off, Brian, thanks for having me. You know, We were confident that we would have some success. It's probably bigger, faster than we would have anticipated. But in in retrospect, having done two companies, I was a journalist uh, for most of my life until we did Politico. Once you've done it once, it does make it a lot easier the second time. I can't tell you how many things we screwed up the first time uh, we tried it in terms of how do you build a business, how do you build a culture. And so to be able to Essentially, say, play the same video game twice, it's easier the second time.
2: So so in particular, what were you doing at Politico that you thought, well, if I get my if I could do this again, I would do it different. What's the main difference from Playbook?
7: I think two of the big ones were one, not just focusing on politics, because I think Politico is a great idea at that moment. But if you think about the world, the topics you talk about on your show You've got to understand what's happening overseas, what's happening in technology, what's happening with artificial intelligence, what's happening with media information, uh, dissemination and consumption and politics. And so having that broader view has helped. Two, like everybody here is a shareholder, and I think the fact that everybody profits from our company being successful, I like that. I think it brings out kind of that uh, animal spirit of capitalism, uh, which I like. I think that it fuels a better uh, company. And then I think we have a really strong culture because we're new. You know, we're able to hire people who are high-achieving, but they, they get along. And as you know, Brian, that's what you want. You want to do fun things with people you enjoy being around, and, and that's probably the coolest part of this gig.
2: I want to get into brevity and, and your approach and how it could help everybody, yep. and pretty much it's reflect. You, you reflected the culture and gave the culture something that reflects the some of the attributes that we've been displaying. I get it. But I do want to talk about what's going on right now for these midterms. When people keep saying every election, I should be keeping it. This is the most important election ever. In terms of midterms, I never remember this type of interest. What's your greatest concern as we head into it?
7: Well, I agree. There's a lot of interest. We'll see if that actually translates into turnout. As you know, these off-year elections could be relatively low. But I think, listen, people on both sides are highly, highly motivated. If you're a Republican, you feel like your way of life is under threat. You feel like there's people trying to police uh, every aspect of your life. You don't like it. You want to vote. If you're a Democrat, especially since the abortion uh, ruling, you feel motivated. You feel like people are trying to come at uh, what they think is their right to do what they want to do. And you're seeing that manifest itself in higher turnout in some of these off-year elections and so you know you talk about it all the time politics is more radioactive more polarized uh, than ever before and what we'll see it'll be interesting because last presidential election we did have pretty high voter turnout people do seem to be translating what you're seeing on social media and, and, and in viewership on different shows into into voting my big concern would be like uh, there's just so much toxicity in the system when I when I look around I just I feel like this country there's so many aspects of it that are just uh, sort of uh, you know, clawed by volatility. There's volatility in the markets. There's volatility in supply chains. There's such volatility uh, in our political system. There's a lack of trust on both sides in terms of what the other side says or believes. And when you have that type of volatility, particularly when you have the market as wobbly as it is Right now, you know, it's not a great outcome. I'd, I'd much rather have the country focused on, like, what are the, you know, five or six things we can do to crush the Iranians, crush the Chinese, crush the Koreans, crush the Russians. I mean, this, I don't think there's so many attributes of this company, a country that are so much uh, more formidable than anything you see overseas. And I think the more we focus on that, I think the better chance we have of of, of making sure that we do end up on top.
2: Uh, I understand. Uh, top issues facing voters, according to this uh, this latest Washington Post poll uh, 85% said the economy. Number two, inflation. Uh, 77% says education. It seems like abortion is dropping. Then comes crime. Then comes abortion with 62%. Then immigration. Um, uh, then immigration also at 62%. And then climate change, 51%. Uh, do you expect that to stay? Since this came, this Dobbs decision came out in June, and are you surprised that immigration was able to, uh, to catapult itself up?
7: Yeah, those polls, you have to dig one layer deeper, because what's motivating each party? There's no doubt that abortion is motivating Democrats in a way that no other topic was. Remember, before that ruling, they had little to cheer for. The economy was wobbly. Biden wasn't chalking up a ton of accomplishments at that point and you know things were going bad with a war overseas and you have a tension obviously with China. And so I think abortion has been a galvanizing topic for Democrats at a moment that they needed it. Immigration might not be number one, but for a lot of people who care about immigration, they do tend to vote. There's a direct correlation between the energy around that topic and actual voter turnout. And so uh, listen, there's a there's a lot to there's right. a lot out there that's motivating people. At the end, it is going to be the economy. If the market's tanking and the supply chain's still locked up and inflation is still surging, that's not good for Democrats. There's no way to spin that. That's terrible.
2: Here's what Chris Christie said over the weekend Cut 9.
4: I think the further you get away from the Dobbs decision and closer to the midterms, the less of a motivating factor abortion is. And obviously from these numbers, the more of a motivating factor the economy is. And, and I understand history is this way, as Julie said. And we better pay heed to history. It's going to happen again. When you have a bad economy, that is what people vote on. They don't vote on anything else because that's what affects them and their families every day.
2: Is he right?
7: I would say yes, but there's no doubt economy is the thing that motivates people in almost every election. I would say you got to remember there's more women uh, who tend to vote uh, in this country in almost every election, I think 15, 16 Uh, straight uh, in terms of uh, more women than men voting. And if Democrats can get more women in these swing districts to show up, Uh, and to vote for them, but can help them on the margins. Like, listen, it's going to be almost impossible for Democrats to keep the House. Pelosi probably loses the House and then loses her job. The Senate's very much up for grabs. And as we've seen, I remember in these last couple of elections, boy, the last three, four, five, there's a lot of these races, including presidential elections, that are decided by a few thousand votes here or there. So all of this stuff on the edges uh, matters and so yes, I think at the end of the day the economy will decide it. But the abortion uh, topic, right. no doubt, is a motivator, and you're seeing that in a lot of races for Dems.
2: So part of the reason why I love uh, reading Axios is to the point, it's substantive, uh, and it's not sensationalistic, but yet it gets it gets your attention. Uh, you, that's why you got the book Smart Brevity. You say it lays out the data and the science, uh, and what you've experienced leading up to this moment to, to launch Axios. What prompted you to put this together, and and what do you want people to get out of your book?
7: You know, when you're in journalism, you get lots of offers to write books. I've never written one. And the reason we wrote Smart Brevity is I've seen the difference that it makes. Not for journalists. It's made a huge difference for us at Axios. But the number of people that have basically taken the practice and tried to become much more efficient communicators, whether they're preachers, teachers, students, and and definitely anybody in business – uh, was was so profound that I wanted to sort of write down what we've learned so that people out there, not journalists, like normal people who are trying to get ahead and trying to be heard in this era of noise could learn from what, what, what we've been able to see firsthand. And and what where I think it's really useful is for anybody who's in business or anyone who's in college or anyone who's trying to make a difference and needs to communicate one to many. If you just think about this era, we're hit with so much information, it's almost impossible to get anyone to pay attention, and yet no one's teaching people how to communicate differently and and differently I mean much more effectively and much more efficiently and that's what this book does it kind of walks you through step by step if you want pe- if you want to be heard again if you want to break through the noise here's exactly what you could do here's a playbook follow it and you'll see uh, exponentially better results almost overnight and it certainly helped us as as a company but i've seen it help other companies
2: you write that we check our phones on average 260 times per day right uh, you write that 70% of employees want shorter communication at work, and we know about this. We heard a lot about this 20 years ago, the MTV generation, short uh, ADD, uh, short-term attention span. Uh, but right to the point, but yet there's a thirst for information. You managed to get both words worlds to co- uh, collide, correct?
7: For sure. Like the, it, it, what we always say, it's like short, not shallow I don't know what happened to humanity where we started to equate depth with length, right? The longer the book, the smarter it is. Your teacher makes you write 5,000 words even if you only have 1,000 to say. And our point is, is like people don't have time for it anymore. You have to adapt to the fact that 80% of information consumption is done on a mobile phone and that people are hit with 100 times more information today than they would have been hit 15 years ago. So you have to learn how to simplify what it is you're trying to say say it much more succinctly, give people the context for why uh, you're saying it. And if you do those steps, suddenly those emails that you send, those texts you send, those notes you send to staff or to colleagues or to bosses, they they start to resonate. There's a funny story when we were writing this. uh, The Pope uh, gave a speech uh, overseas and he was talking, uh, he's making his own case for smart brevity. He said, uh, he told a fellow Catholic priest, he said, listen, you got to stop doing these 40-minute homilies. you got to cut them down to 10 minutes. And he said when he did it, he said the loudest applause came from the nuns, who he said were the victims of their verbal torture. <laughs>
11: uh, and I think
7: that's true of all of us. We're yeah. all long-winded. And I think the more we can save people time, the more we save ourselves time, the more it sharpens our thinking, the better we're going to be at work and at life.
2: And one thing you guys do at Axios, you do the finish line, you write that. And it's kind of a universal yeah. thing to make people's lives better, Correct.
7: It is, yeah. Uh, And the one I write on Thursdays is very much about lessons I've learned uh, from from running two companies and having sort of hired or fired literally hundreds of thousands of of people. And a lot of it, I just, I was a normal guy from Oshkosh, Wisconsin, who lucked into journalism and then got to start two companies. And so most of what I've learned, I didn't learn at Harvard. I went to the University of Wisconsin Oshkosh. I learned it by doing it kind of the hard way and often getting it wrong, but then learning, uh, having the humility to learn and get it Right. And I love sharing those stories because I think so much of what you read in books and all this nonsense that you hear from these superheroes in business, it's just not applicable to people's real lives. And it's not actually how business works unless you're born with a silver spoon.
2: And by the way, we're talking to Jim VandeHei. He's got a book out now. He's co-author of Smart Brevity, The Power of Saying More with Less. So, Jim, in a time in which I agree with you, everything you've said is be to the point, be concise, be informative. Got it. We're on a rush. True. How do you explain the success of the two and three hour podcast, or the or the or the growth of the podcast, where it's forty five minutes, ninety minutes at, at least sometimes, uh, and yet people seem to be consuming it?
7: Yeah, I think there's. I, I think it should be information nirvana, right? If you if you applied smart brevity to most transactional or sort of ephemeral information. You'd have more time to listen to more podcasts. There are some podcasts that have been very successful. Joe Rogan a mass one of the great media success stories of the last uh, 20 years. Uh, the New York Times, uh, they actually have a pretty good listenership for their daily, and so there are some that run long. Joe Rogan's often run uh, three hours Because, you know, I think people are on the go. People are pre-COVID, but now increasingly even post-COVID, are back to commuting, and it's an easy thing to do, and people like to have – why do you think your radio show is successful, right? People want to have a relationship with you, and they're going to sit there, and they get familiar with you, and they start to trust you uh, over time, and that's kind of the case of where I'd like to see media and basically information uh, uh, creation and consumption go, which is Free people up from the tyranny of, like, the vomit of words. Like, like sometimes things are just going to be quick and easy, make it quick and easy, so that you can read a book or that you can listen to a two- or three-hour podcast. Because despite all of the noise and nonsense out there, there's never been more good information available to humans at any point in humanity, and it's not even close. Like, the amount of just Googling things and finding high-quality information if you're a discerning consumer is, like, it is mind-blowing. And we just have to learn how to get people to the, sort of the right information that they can trust. And I love that when people get that. That's why we I'm in, in media. Like, the better information people have, I think, over time, the better decisions they'll make. And I think that benefits us in our local community, and I think it benefits us ultimately as a
2: country. Hey, Jim, thanks so much. Congratulations on your success. Guys, pick this up. Make your life better. Smart brevity. The power of saying more with less. Jim Van Hey, thank you.
7: Thank you, Brian. Really appreciate it. You have a
2: good one. You got it. And all the proceeds go to the Axios Fellowship Program. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move back with your calls in just a moment.
1: Learning something new every day on the Brian Kilmeade Show. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show.
10: President Biden gets the campaign on what we call nominal numbers. Uh, you know, you can say, hey, the, the GDP was up six percent. We, everybody watching this show, we live with real numbers. What are real numbers? They are adjusted for inflation. Ever since that $1.9 trillion boondoggle was pushed through, uh, we, have had negative, we have had negative wages every single month since then. So 18, 19 months of negative wages, that loses you 3000 in purchasing power.
2: I I just don't think there's anybody better than him when you break down the practical and and the macroeconomic – and he could do that with anybody. But when you talk about everyday living, what's going on with housing, what's going on with wages, what's going on with inflation, what's going on with shopping, what's going on with used cars, what's going on with new cars. And what's about to happen in housing is going to be – it's going to be cataclysmic because we're going to lose the values of our houses that we have it's going to stop people from selling because instead of leaving it i guess it was this is a 20 year high 6.7% is a 20 that's since 1980 so it's even more than that it's a 40 year high so if you think to yourself i got a 3.2% mortgage and i'm thinking about selling to get a bit i'm not going to sell because now i'm looking at instead of 4.5 or yeah 5 i could probably deal with now it's 6.5 and going up so I'm not selling, and if I'm about to buy, all of a sudden, if I did my math and I'm doing my weekly budget and I'm realizing monthly budget, realizing now it's going to be way too high, so I, I'm out. So the the ripple effect is going to be huge, and that's the practical side of the economy. Then I'm going to ask people, "What did that happen? When did it start?" Oh, I remember when it started.
1: A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade.
2: We are getting crushed. We are on the defense over and over and over again. It's immigration today. It was CRT yesterday. It'll be ESG. Look that up tomorrow. They consistently push us against the wall. We have no compelling alternative narrative. And that's on all of us. Gavin Newsom, in the midst of ripping, uh, trying to get famous and and try to take on DeSantis and set up a matchup, a syndicated uh, synthetic matchup with Governor DeSantis or others, went to Texas over the weekend. Um, By the way, I think it's taxpayer dollars to pretend as if that's of interest of the people of California who are overrun with homeless, who, by the way, uh, he has pledged to give all illegal immigrants ID cards. If you think that's a priority for the people of California, it's been a while since I lived out there, but I cannot picture that being the case. So Gavin Newsom said something that's kind of the truth. Uh, They're actually wiping the floor with him when it comes to these immigration and these other issues, because I think the American people are seeing what's going on and a little bit taken aback by it. Joining us now to discuss it, Britt Hume, uh, Fox News senior political analyst. Britt, welcome back. What is uh, Gavin Newsom up to criticizing Democrats?
12: Well, he conceded Biden is uh, is not the choice of, of the Democratic Party to run again, and he, he looks around the landscape and says, why not me? You know, he's got great hair. Uh, he's the governor of a big state with a big, you know, that gives him a big political base. He's got tons of money that he's raised, which is where I suspect his trip to Texas was was paid for. And, you know, he's as popular among liberals, and if he's aggressive uh, in his approach, as he says he wants to be, um, a lot of Democrats will look at him and say, "What's not to like?" Now, the condition of his state is certainly an arguable point. Great state, great natural assets, big economy,
2: but all kinds of problems. Uh, huge problems. If it's on a report card, you know, you have Governor DeSantis. You might the Democrats might not like him, but they can't say he's not successful. And you well, have governor. Po-
12: yeah, his. I think his policies have been largely successful and appreciated by the, yeah. by the people in Florida. And around the country, people looked at how he kept the schools open and the businesses open to a much greater extent than other governors did during the pandemic. And that becomes, particularly on, among conservatives and Republicans, a real point in his favor.
2: Right. And then you have Governor Newsom. Like you said, he looks the part as if you're going to cast a governor from California. But in terms of performance, in terms of the exodus from the state itself. I know he'll probably win California if he runs for president, but how does he stand on stage and go to bat for what he's done? that too, That's what I find almost mind-boggling, to think that he must think he's doing a good job.
12: Well, I think he thinks that the, that the policies that he favors, you know, on immigration and even crime, or that he's tolerated, um, will sit well with the Democratic electorate. Whether or how well that would carry in a troubled time in a and a general election is another matter entirely.
2: So I want you to hear Jen Psaki yesterday on a network appearance. It might be her first. I know she's been on MSNBC, on Meet the Press, on talking about where we're at the midterms now. We're six weeks away and a lot of the uh, abortion sinking on the importance list and crime, inflation and the economy is rising. Cut six.
6: They also know that crime is a huge vulnerability for Democrats. I would say one of the biggest vulnerabilities. And if you look at Pennsylvania, for example, what's been interesting to me is it's always you follow the money and where mm-hmm. are people spending money. And in Pennsylvania, the Republicans have been spending millions of dollars on the air on crime ads against Federman right. because that's where they see his vulnerability. So yes, the economy is hanging over everything, right. but you do have to look at state-by-state state factors, and crime is a huge issue by in the way, Pennsylvania race.
2: And he also is, uh, the lack of fracking. Basically, Fetterman won't frack. She went on to say that if it's about President Biden, Democrats know they will lose. I was shocked to see a press secretary, former press secretary, say that.
12: Well, she's in a different role now. And what she says is undoubtedly true. I mean, I spent a fair amount of time in Pennsylvania in the warm months, and I've seen these ads on Fetterman on crime. Fetterman is out there uh, where the buses don't run on, on I crime so, too. and punishment yeah. and release of murderers from prison and all that. And he's pretty vulnerable on that stuff. He's a very peculiar guy and his positions, he's such a, in some ways, he's such a strange guy with his, you know, with his short pants and his and his uh, sweatshirts, uh, bald head and goatee and all that. He's a peculiar looking guy. He's, when you look at him, it, your first thought is, ah, United States Senator. <laughs> it's not. And uh, and I think he, you know, and I think to some extent for a time that obscured uh, the fact that the Republicans are trying to bring forward now that he's pretty far left.
2: Hey, Britt, uh, if we go to case by case, when people talk about a red wave, for me, it doesn't seem like the Senate is is necessarily um, as vulnerable to waves. I think matchups make fights. And and when it comes to boxing and a lot of that has to do when it comes to the Senate and their state, for example, I don't understand, you know, Blake Masters is the choice in Arizona. He's within single digits, depending on the on the on the poll. And yet to Senator Kelly, who's his resume looks great, but his track his performance looks terrible. He doesn't really do much. And that you had Mitch McConnell pull out nine million dollars from his campaign uh, and then pour money into J.D. Vance, who's basically got a four uh, two to four point lead. What do you think's behind that?
12: I think it's a calculus on his part of where the money will do the most good toward electing uh, a Republican Senate. And remember this. He's putting money, as McConnell, into races uh, where the candidate is, is someone who's attacked him. So you know that he's not doing this out of personal pique. You know, while, while he's out there spending money to help candidates who have attacked him, Donald Trump, meanwhile, who's endorsed all these people and raised all this money, is sitting on it.
2: He's got to start spending on these guys, uh, whether it's uh, Dr. Oz, who's doing a lot of his own campaign financing, or whether it's J.D. Vance, in particular, Blake Masters. Now, Don Bolduck in New Hampshire is interesting, is that Trump never endorsed anyone there. But he ran on saying that the election was uh, stolen, and he's a general. And one thing he's done is very similar to Scott Brown. I've understand he's done dozens and dozens of town halls in order to get that nomination and Chris Sununu is not holding out any bitterness, even though he attacked Chris Sununu. Do you look at Maggie Hassan as vulnerable to a Don Bolduc still?
12: She's vulnerable, but whether she's vulnerable to Don Bolduc is the question. Uh, because, you know, Bolduc is, you know, that, that election was stolen message. I don't think is, is a majority. He's since amended it. many places. Huh?
2: He's since amended it.
12: Yeah, big help. <laughs> you know, or, or, or some, it can be hard to put the toothpaste back in the tube when you blurt something like that out.
2: When you look at the econ- yeah, when you look at the economy right now, you look at the Dow. Two years gains gone. Inflation still uh, between eight and nine percent. Housing now under attack. You have th- you have a th- uh, mortgage. Um, people not leaving a three percent mortgage for a six percent mortgage. So sales are going to plummet. Home prices uh, are seventy two percent two. In 72% of homes, uh, they are priced too high. So an overvalue of homes in places like Austin, Charlotte, Las Vegas, uh, and Phoenix. So when you see some of these things happening, it's almost as if the housing market is about to be slammed, but it hasn't been slammed yet. What kind of trouble could that be in the next six weeks?
12: Well, there will be some trouble in the next six weeks, and more more than that, it will be trouble in the next 18 to 24 months, because... um, if we get the recession that many are predicting and the signs are looking like that it could be exactly where we're going um it's going to be a murderous environment for democrats for the next 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 cycle this cycle and the next
2: um if i fast forward over to the ukraine did you ever expect the russian army to perform this badly and did you ever expect two high ranking russian officials pro putin to speak out against him and his and his and his 300,000 activation of what he called reservists but for the most part are just young males.
12: Well, I think that from the very start it's been pretty clear that the Russian army is not what it was cracked up to be. We saw that in the in the utter failure of the initial thrust toward Kiev way back at the start of all this and they were repelled and humiliated in that effort. Um, and now we're seeing something that I, didn't, I must say I didn't fully expect, which was this counterattack in these other in these other regions of the country, where Russia is being pushed out out of, out of section after section, which is really quite remarkable when you think about it. American we- advanced weapons have certainly helped.
2: Last minute of uh, play here, Vladimir Putin. From what you could tell, does this have the signs that he's vulnerable now, or do you feel that that's uh, that is wishful oh. thinking?
12: I think he's vulnerable, but in an authoritarian system like that, getting somebody out is a hard is a hard thing to do, and and I'm not saying it can't happen because you know it's we don't have good vision inside Russia inside the political system there it's it's you know it's pretty closed and we can't we can't really see it very well, um, but I, if I woke up tomorrow morning and found there had been a coup, I wouldn't be stunned.
2: It would be it would be earth shattering though. Uh, Brid Hume, uh, Foxy yeah. senior political analyst. Thanks so much, Brett. Appreciate the quality time talk to you, Brian. All right. Uh, Let's go over the Ukraine a little bit more. Tens of thousands of young men are exiting the country. The protests are massing up. I could not believe this, but they said there was 40 cities had protests. At least 1,300 were arrested. Think about the guts it takes to protest. Even here, sometimes it can result in arrest. That's really not going to keep you. If it keeps you from work on Monday, that's pretty earth-shattering. Here, they can get you killed and put into jail for 10 years, and they grab your families, and they still did it. Why? Because they tried to activate Vladimir Putin. 300,000 Which means they either are serving, they have a degree of commitment, or they have served. Turns out they don't have 300,000 that have any fundamentals in training. Many of these 300,000 are going to come from, get this, the protesters, they're dragging probably by the hair or by the back of the neck or in cuffs into prison. So they're going to ask them to wear a uniform, get a gun, and shoot Ukrainians. That'll last about an hour. Then they're going to walk over, drop their guns, and go unless they get shot in the back of the head. At the very least, they're not going to be effective. Would you say? I think so. They are now today voting in the occupied areas of Donbass, um, Donetsk, Luhansk, Kyrgyzstan and Zaporizhka. I don't think I pronounced that correctly, but you understand what I'm talking about. These four areas. So they're going to vote. And we see these people being not, uh, the Russians are knocking on their doors and they're dragging them out to vote on their behalf. So they're going to be annexed by Russia. And they're going to act like this is a glorious day. And they're going to pretend as if if the Ukrainians go to get that area back, Russia proper is being invaded. Therefore, they can maybe activate the entire country. Good luck with that. 2,500 cars are reported in the Russia Georgia border on Sunday. We know they almost are. They're almost ready to shut down the border that borders Finland and Russia already. And then on the elsewhere, Kazakhstan also being besieged, and Mongolia. Can you imagine things being that bad in your country? You say, honey, pack the station wagon. We're going to Mongolia. That's how bad it is. This is a historic time. If you look at our enemies in the world, it's uh, Iran, North Korea. China and Russia. All right. We don't formally say at different degrees. Fine. But for the most part, Iran is looking at multiple uh, unrest in multiple cities. Then we're looking at Russia falling on their face and embarrassing themselves around the globe. You have a unified NATO for the first time in a long time that added two sophisticated countries with with well-regarded armies already into NATO. And then you have the failing Russian performance that failed to take the capital and now is failing to hold the land they stole. It is down to 15 percent of the country. And I'm not sure that it's not going to go down quicker to the point where Vladimir Putin is threatening nuclear weapons. Why would you do that? Because you're trying to get people's respect and attention because your army hasn't. You fired multiple generals. So many have been killed. 80,000 dead. And you now have to beg 300,000 to fight. And they'd rather leave the country to do it. That is a disaster for a country that's been trying to put a poker in our eye since Vladimir Putin took over. That we, for a while, thought we had an, an ally. That's why we had the G8. Now we're down to a G7. And all the G7 are against the Russian one. All right. When we come back, I'll take some more phone calls. 1-866-408-7669. And then get your opinion about what's happening. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show.
1: Honest commentary, unique opinions, no agenda. It's Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade.
8: I think there is going to be such a landslide against the traitors, especially the 147 Republicans who just hours after the insurrection voted to not certify the elected president of the United States, Joe Biden. And I think that there is going to be so many people coming out to vote. I want to thank the Supreme Court for reminding women that they are, in fact, second-class citizens and and taking their rights away like this. I think we can throw out a huge number of these Republican traitors uh, in November.
2: Uh, That was Michael Moore on Bill Maher's show. And uh, Michael Moore said, you know, Trump is a lot more formidable than people thought and was right in 2016. In Michael Moore's world, the January 6th world, the Liz Cheney world, and uh, of uh, Adam Schiff world, if January 6th was the calling card for the midterms, he'd be right. But he's not right. We have moved so far past that. Things are moving so quickly, so much more impactfully. And the January 6th committee wants to get the spotlight back. But well, they can't get the spotlight back. I, I just don't think, I mean, we know how horrible a day it was. No one's making excuses for it. But for the most part, that's an anomaly. If you look at all the Trump rallies, there's no violence at those rallies. In fact, most of the Trump people are getting beat up. If Michael Morrill's world, the Adam Schiff world, the Jamie Raskin's world, that's where the midterms will go. But it's not. It is decisions on spending when it comes to our economy. It's the Afghanistan withdrawal. It is the president's continuing to push a green agenda, which is not America's agenda, by letting the border collapse. Yeah, the advantage for them is run on Donald Trump and run, uh, run on Donald Trump and run on abortion. The Republicans don't like women, which is crazy. It's returning it to the states. And I think you'll see that. I think he's way off on this, but you know where Michael Moore stands. Uh, Trinica, uh, I think that's how you say your name. Hey, Trinico, what's in your mind over in Arkansas? Uh,
11: we're in Bull Shoals, Arkansas. And, Brian, I listen to you every morning, 8 o'clock till 11. Thank you. I don't watch any of the news anymore because you cover it all, buddy. You cover it all. Anything I need to know, your little commercial is true. I, I don't spend any time on the other networks. But as far as inflation, I have a little Pontiac Vibe 2007, which has a Toyota engine. Gets really good miles. Used to fill it up for twenty four dollars a uh, you know a gallon the full tank. Now it's forty two. Uh just finished cooking up twenty pounds of chicken, leg quarters to make dog food for my puppies and used to get it for five eighty nine. I paid nine ninety for a ten pound bag. So things are going up, but what I'm really concerned about is the younger families. You know, my husband and I are both retired. We have income coming in but it's sure not going to increase 8% to cover the inflation. I feel sorry for the younger families who are struggling. We have a real issue in this country, in our area, and in many areas, with food food insecurity, and that is a concern of mine. But you are right on about the topics, and I appreciate you yeah so I fun. mean
2: they think uh, thank you so much for the call. How do you say your name by the way? I think I got it wrong
11: I'm, I'm, oh, okay. that was my grandma's my grandma's name I'm a naturalized American citizen. My mom was Dutch, my dad Canadian. Uh, they became American citizens. They sponsored my aunt and uncle from Holland. And uh, other family members sponsored them, made sure they had jobs when they came. So the immigration issue, but, you know, the whole thing, we we love immigrants. We love immigrants, but
2: I am concerned. Just do it right. That's all we're asking. Just do it right.
11: Among those that are coming, I'm really concerned about the fentanyl thing. But let me end up on a happy note. I want you to know that uh, I asked my son who lives in Mississippi, where's Brandon? He said 30 miles from the house. So then I told Bill, my husband, I said, honey, I want an early Christmas present. And what I would like is to go see my guy, Brian. All in right. Brandon, Mississippi, and we have tickets and we shall see you. We're right behind the, Fantastic. the higher dollar tickets,
2: Brandon, Mississippi. I appreciate it. I'll make sure to see you, Trinica.
1: Fox News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade.
2: Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, one 866 408 uh, we're going to be uh, taking your phone calls throughout the hour and then find out if there's a, indeed more to know. Michael Goodwin standing by from the New York Post, Fox News contributor. We're talking about the midterms with him and so much more, as well as Donald Trump. Donald Trump's got six major court cases coming at him. I think the biggest, the biggest phony case or the most synthetic case that makes the president—and you're not going to like this. These people that don't like President Trump makes him almost a sympathetic figure—is when you see how they took aim at his family and his company— Where there's nothing there. This is somebody just trying to get famous, Letitia James. I'll talk to him about that, where he still is the number one Republican in the country. And that's what the Democrats would like to run on. Don't think they'll be successful. Let's get to the big three.
1: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's
8: Big Three. Number three. I think that you're actually seeing it in Iran. You're seeing it in Russia. You're seeing it in China. People mm-hmm. are rising up. All of them have anti-American sentiment. Kind of encouraging to see the countries that are most anti-American having as much trouble. It's not so bad over here by comparison. Yeah.
2: Uh, that is uh, Vivek Ramaswamy on with Bill Maher last week. Uh, Yet, yeah, um, actually on Friday night. Uh, historic opportunities. That's how I see it for America as we watch the riots crop up in Russia and Iran for the horrific abuses of their own people, as well as Russia in particular, losing this war in Ukraine. Number two,
0: when you ask registered voters what issue is at the top of that list and you see inflation and the economy, that all points to an extraordinary set of challenges for Democrats trying to keep the House and the Senate.
2: Rachel Scott weighing in from ABC, the economic thunderclouds are gathering as we are all feeling it and seeing it, even if the Biden administration does not acknowledge it. The polls are in and the numbers on housing stocks and inflation are of overwhelmed abortion will discuss.
9: Number
4: one the key numbers that I looked at was the president at thirty six on its approval rating seventy four percent of the people in the poll said the economy is bad it 's the top issue to eighty four percent of the people that 's all bad news for the Democrats in that poll.
2: Six weeks into the midterms and Dems are getting devastating numbers as president biden 's approval drops from under forty percent now, and Republican Party gains substantial trust on crime immigration, and the economy. What does it mean for the red wave? We'll break it down for you with Michael Goodwin. Michael, welcome back.
13: Good morning, Brian.
2: Thank you. I think people are, I, I just find these numbers coming in overwhelming for Republicans this weekend, and is trying to run from their own poll. I mean, this is, <laughs> it's so crazy. They go, yeah, by the way, uh, President's approval rating under 40%. Try 39%. And last week, uh, I, I believe NBC had it at 45%. How do you explain this?
13: Well, um, it's it's almost impossible to explain uh, unless you believe that the polls are being cooked, that there's some oversampling going on among Democrats or something else. I mean, I write about the uh, a poll on the migrant flights that Reuters did, and Brian, I you know I've read a lot of polls, I've seen a lot of polls, I've never seen anything quite like this one. It's Reuters Reuters tested that, you know, the Republican governors flying the migrants to the blue cities and states to say, hey, let's have a wake-up call here. Let's get the White House to secure the border. And so Reuters does a poll that says uh, 29, only one-third support uh, the migrant flights. But when you look inside the poll, it says that only 29% support it, but only 40% reject it, uh, disapprove, right? So 29%, that's the third they're talking about. That makes it seem like two-thirds then then dis- disapprove of the Republicans. In fact, only 40% do. And Reuters does not mention the other 31%. It just says 29 for the flights, 40 against. No mention of the remaining 31%. What the heck kind of poll is that? Then it's an online poll, right? And, and I broke down this, they give you the sample size, a thousand people roughly, 46% of whom were Democrats. Uh, and uh, much smaller sampling size for Republicans. And you look at what Gallup says about the national preference, Democrats, Republicans. In the fourth quarter of 21, there was actually a Republican advantage among independents and Republicans versus Democrats and independents. So where Reuters gets off doing a poll. Uh, counting 46% Republicans or Democrats, and I think 35 or 34%. It was a nine-point nine gap between Democrats and Republicans. When in reality, the gap should favor Republicans right now in this in this moment. As you point out in the other polls about the economy, so. We're, This is a it's a phony poll It's done by Reuters to to create the impression that the migrant flights are unpopular. But the poll doesn't support that. But that's how they write their story. And to me, this is emblematic. This is a case study in how the media manipulates the facts to support the left. And they 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 try to magnify the left talking points. They distort the the real facts. For example, on the migrant situation, all the attacks on the Republicans for the migrant flights, they never defend the Biden policy. Well, what about the Biden policy that has allowed in more than four million people in his term in office? I mean, that's the size that's bigger than Los Angeles. I mean, it's right. extraordinary what's happening on the border and how the media is distorting it. Well, and, I think
2: and, that, and by and the way, I think. guess who also knows that? Listen to Beto O'Rourke on this topic. Cut to.
5: Candidate Biden didn't spend a dime or a day in the Rio Grande Valley or really anywhere in Texas for that matter. Once we got down the home stretch of the general election, you got to be locking eyeballs with the people that you want to fight for and serve, and whose votes that you want to win.
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, he's panicking because he was Mr. to take down the wall. Now he realizes this is this is a, a a terrible development when you have seven million people coming here illegally through Texas and you want their vote when you've done nothing to help them.
13: Yeah, look, and and, I think what the Republicans, uh, the Republican governors, uh, Ducey, Abbott, and DeSantis, what they've successfully done is get the country's attention on the border. And, you know, that's why people like Reuters are trying to shut it down, because they see that their, you know, Reuters calls Biden's um, border policies, quote, more welcoming, end quote. Yes. More welcoming. Right. That's what a benign description of an open border. And yet the media continues to try to demonize these Republican governors because they see it as a threat. And that's why I think, look, the Democrats are running on two things. Donald Trump's a bad guy and uh, abortion is a good thing. That's their that's their fundamental appeal to voters. And as you say, when you when you hear people talk about the economy, yeah. about inflation, how even wage gains have been wiped out by inflation. I mean, this inflation stuff is simply remarkable when you look at the price of everything. It, it is incredible.
2: It's like the the all this other stuff are small cuts on the arm. Wow, that hurts. But when you have inflation, it cuts right through the heart. And it doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter your marketing scheme. It doesn't matter a slick commercial because I go, wait a second, what's going on? I'm having trouble meeting my utility bills, bills that have doubled. Uh, Gas, when I'm living paycheck to paycheck, is now more expensive. And you're telling me, look how much it was from how high it was. And then you say, and then you look around and say, crime is an issue in my area. I don't feel comfortable letting my kids go out at night. I don't feel comfortable in New York City anymore. Uh, I am a cop. I'm no longer appreciated. I mean, when you when, or and no longer can afford to keep that same job without getting another. I'm looking at the president's approval rating. So it's now at 39% only 22% strongly approve his performance. That's abysmal. And when you have his economy, only 36% approve of the way he's handling the economy. This is a disaster. So yet everyone talks about when issues when it comes to abortion, it's really two-thirds are against what the Supreme Court ruled overruling Roe v. Wade. Okay, that's fine. That's seventh. It's now the seventh most important issue. And I just uh, I just felt this week in particular – there was discordance between what they were, what the numbers were saying and what they wanted us to believe. And I think you're realizing uh, that, too. They're desperate to make Donald Trump an issue. And I think the re- these reporters are cheering for this January 6th hearing to steal the headlines. How dare they? I thought they were supposed to investigate what happened. Why are they trying to steal the headlines and produce another TV show?
13: Yeah, look, I mean, that's what they want. They want a democratic government. They want a government that will arrest its opponents, that will do whatever it can to shut down dissent. That's what the media wants, which is, Brian, one of the great changes in our country, great being large, that the media used to be for free speech. That's what it it, it knew, that the First Amendment is what gave it a right to to say and do what it did every day. Now the media has become censors. They've they've now side with big tech and big government in censoring points of view. I mean, it's an extraordinary change in our society that's having huge impact. And I don't think enough people really appreciate what has happened to the media in America.
2: So so one thing is pretty clear. The Department of Justice has radicalized and politicized the FBI. The FBI used to have one person who was appointed, and he got a 10-year term to Orshi to not be a political figure. Now these people that are placed and picked and put into the FBI and the Washington Bureau has politicized the agents. Now they're suffering from that. And then you brought up something else in your column that no one's talking about, and I want to make sure we do. And that is the anti-Semitic behavior as Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib called out by Debbie Wasserman Schultz, but almost nobody else. Well, there used to be a time when someone like Senator Schumer, according to reports, is Jewish, would be offended by that. Why are they, why are they silent about anti-Semitism?
13: Well, let's face it, there's a real anti-Semitic caucus within the Democratic Party, Tlaib, Ilan Omar, and a handful of others. And they are, they are not just criticizing Israel, they're anti-Semites. And that's who they are, and the Democratic Party is afraid to offend them. No kidding. That is, that, that is, again, one of the great mysteries, Brian, why Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi, and Schumer have given so much power to the radicals in their party. Uh, Tlaib and Omar are two of the radicals, but AOC on, on socialism stuff, Bernie Sanders, head of the Budget Committee. I mean, this is, this is ridiculous. And I think that it has ta- they have stolen the Democratic Party and the so called moderate leaders have let them do it and had participated in it. It's it's one of the great mysteries. It's why Joe Biden is so unpopular. His policies are unpopular. People still have a sort of affectionate feeling for him, which I think is misguided. Nonetheless it is because they know him. He has crafted this image of, you know, the lunch pail guy and all of that. But but in fact he has been the architect of these disastrous policies. He continues to support them, to to go out there and say them. His MAGA 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 speech in Philadelphia was the most divisive, polarizing speech you can imagine, uh, and yet. He's still the president. And so I think the public is beginning to wake up to these deep, deep things that are of, of change that are rippling through the government. I mean, the, the, you know, it's now, now the Democrats love the FBI but hate the police. <laughs> uh, I mean, go figure that one out.
2: Right. But the problem is now they want to pretend they like the police because they realize they've lost the law and order vote. And they lost any man and woman in blue, should never vote for a Democrat, probably wound not outside that idiotic sheriff uh, in uh, Texas. And now you have people who are related to cops not voting for them. And then you have retired cops not voting for them. They know who wanted to reimagine police. And they're desperate by putting this bill through the House. They, they said they put a bill through to help police in local and, uh, and large cities. No one buys it. It's not going to pass. It's all symbolic. And we'll see. If, if there was a big push in this country to defame and dethrone and dishonor police, they'd, be, they'd love it. But they realize they lost that when people's lost their security. I'm fascinated to see if, if Democrats are to lose, they earned it. It's not that Republicans had a great message. They had a normal message. Let's not make it impossible to make a living. And let's not destroy the borders. Not even crack down. Let's not destroy the border. Let's not destroy inner cities. Let's not tell cops to go home. And that's the Republican message. They don't have, a, they don't have any great, brilliant orator. And I know you agree with me on this, but I looked at Barack Obama, regardless of what you thought of his policies, he's unbelievably talented. Bill Clinton is an unbelievable communicator. I don't care if you you loved everything or nothing. You just respected their talent. I thought George Bush is relatable. Even though he came from a very famous family, he was an average guy that worked in oil fields. He was part of Texas. He wasn't a Connecticut guy. Uh, having said all that, I see no talent in Joe Biden. I don't see any likability. If you ever notice when he gives a speech, even when he gets applause, he interrupts and says, no, no joke. Uh I'm yeah, gonna, right. uh, you know, is not hyperbole. Yeah, it's not hyperbole. <laughs> a, he doesn't even have to take a pause. I find him totally unlikable. And the fact that he lies, especially about his son— uh, with, and just was able to do that so, so easily makes me wonder what else he's lying about that way you haven't even thought to ask.
13: Well, I think in many ways, Joe Biden is a creature of government. I mean, if you, if you were designing a, you know, a person who was bathed and born and bathed and raised and lived in government for their entire life, that would be Joe Biden. And look at him. I mean, there's a surface appeal, but then underneath it, there's corruption. There's dishonesty, right, that there's clear racism in his past. Uh, All of these things, you know, are, are to me, emblematic of a government life. And this is what he has. He has a government life, and he, he will never change. He will never be the architect of a kind of freedom and a kind of thriving liberty that America aspires to and that the Constitution gave us. Uh, he will always, I think, distort, and his his constant embrace of bigger and bigger and more coercive government is really quite something. Gotcha. I mean, we this well beyond gotcha, Barack Mike. Obama.
2: Michael Goodwin, uh, read his columns, watch him on Fox, the New York Post columnist Michael Goodwin. Thanks. Back in a moment.
1: It's Brian Kilmeade. if you 're interested in it brian 's talking about it you 're with Brian Kilmeade.
5: hey,
2: welcome back everybody uh, we 're going to be talking with uh, Dan Hoffman, a former CIA station chief in Moscow, Iraq, Pakistan, and South asia we 've got to talk about all the arrests that's taking place uh, in Iran as well as what 's happening in Russia, including the war that 's fighting and they are finding killing field after killing field and they 're finding kids tortured that 's what the right that 's what these people are made of. These Russian uh, absolute mutants, uh, these, these uh, officers in charge, uh, the people that were able to survive, the generals that weren't killed, have ordered some of these done. So they go, if they can't beat the Ukrainian soldiers head-to-head, they'll just kill innocent people who are unarmed. So we'll talk about that and talk about what's happening in Iran. They say these, this unrest is already greater than the 2008 unrest. Well, is it possible for they to be more than just angry people speaking up? Is it possible that they could actually get a new government out of this? And how is it feasible and plausible for us to continue to negotiate with Iran on a nuclear deal that they were already breaching before we pulled out of it? With Russia leading the charge on behalf of Iran and the West, no joke. We'll talk about that, and then we'll end with more to know. you listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Don't forget, go to briankilmeade.com to have a chance to see me on stage talk about history and perspective as well as what's going on in the news. In Brandon, Mississippi, Tulsa, Oklahoma.
1: Video that makes you think this is the Brian Kilmeade show
11: those people who don't
1: come to referendum you know Russians can turn off their electricity and won't give them an opportunity to live a normal human life they force people they throw them in prisons they force them to come to these pseudo-referenda
2: uh, that is uh, Vladimir Zelensky speaking to CBS uh, through a translator, uh, obviously, uh, coming out, talking about what life is like on occupied Russia as they try to annex four key areas in the uh, Donbass region, which they don't even control. They're forcing them to have a phony referendum. You see these people being pulled out of their houses, being forced to vote. Daniel Hoffman with joins us now, former CIA station, CIA station chief, served in Moscow, Iraq, Pakistan, just about everywhere that's bad. Uh, Daniel, welcome back. <laughs> oh, what What is your take on the state of affairs right now in this Donbass region, this phony referendum? What's the point?
3: Yeah, so I just put out a column on Fox News. Putin is on the ropes. U.S. and NATO must call his bluff with, with three lines of support. So folks who are interested can go to the Fox News website and take a look at it. But really, you know, as General Milley has said, that uh, Ukraine has seized the strategic initiative. And after their blistering counteroffensive in Kharkiv, they are threatening Russia in the Donbass. They're threatening to take back Crimea, and Vladimir Putin has kind of run out of options. And so what he's done is he's mobilized, you know, 300,000 uh, of reservists for the first time since the Second World War. He's threatening the world that he might use, you know, some of his 2,000 tactical nuclear weapons uh, against Ukraine, and we can talk about that in more detail if you like. Um, And then he's got these referenda. He's essentially illegally annexing four regions of Ukraine to make them Russian territory with the hopes that he'll deter the Biden administration from providing the military equipment, especially long-range tactical missile systems that Ukraine needs to take the fight to Russia.
2: So, uh, number one, before he even uses them, I think one of the biggest stories is the 300,000 so-called reservists. It has caused a panic inside Russia, it seems. Thousands are streaming towards the borders. Uh, they made these, he's been rebuked by two high-ranking allies in the Politburo, which I know is just ceremonial these days, like the House of Lords. But he got rebuked saying this is not acceptable. And plus, they're not even reservists. They have no experience, it seems. They're actually taking protesters and forcing them to go in the army. What kind of soldiers would protesters be?
3: Yeah, so the, the problem for Vladimir Putin is now he's allowed the war to come to Mother Russia. And, you know, he was very popular when Russia illegally annexed Crimea and used their some of their irregular forces, Wagner Group and others, to uh, to fight in the Donbass back in 2014. But now the war is coming home, and that's why you're seeing all these people fleeing Russia. Um, you know, I was talking with some friends about this, and it reminded me of that last scene from Animal House when everybody's just gone kind of pandemonium in the streets there, and people are just trying to go someplace, get out. Uh, you know, uh, sorry for the Blutarsky reference, but, man, you know, when I was in Russia, we used to talk about all the things that are just unimaginable that you could never have predicted. This is a major risky step for Vladimir Putin, um, you know, domestically. He's risking a lot. He knows he can kind of snuff out his domestic, more liberal opposition. That's why he's doing it. The real threat to him are his ultra-nationalist hawks who believed that Russia would topple the Ukrainian government in three days in their so-called special military operation. It never happened. And so Putin knows that um, he's at risk for potentially even losing his grip on the Kremlin if he doesn't satisfy their need to take Ukraine. And and this isn't gonna go anywhere. These guys aren't gonna wind up in Ukraine for months. and It doesn't do anything about the logistical challenges that the Russians have or the morale, uh, which is, as you noted, um, has hit rock bottom. So, look, um, this this military uh, adventure by Putin is, is a humanitarian catastrophe. The more he loses, the more those losses accelerate for the Russian military. The more dangerous Putin gets because he's just backed into a corner.
2: So, the president's order drew widespread protests. Thirteen hundred Russian protests were de- Thirteen hundred uh, protesters were detained when there were out. There were outbreaks in forty cities. Thousands of Russians have also been attempting to flee the country. They're trying to go to Finland, obviously. Mongolia, Kazakhstan. They're just trying to get... They're running into Georgia over the weekend. Tens of thousands of young men exiting the country uh, because they don't want to be in the draft. And some of them we actually... Interviewing on camera, we're seeing them through translators saying, you got to be kidding me. 2,500 cars reported at the Russia-Georgia border on Sunday alone. So we've never seen anything like this. But I thought, Dan, you'd be the perfect person to put it in perspective. Do you have an idea how vulnerable he actually is? Where at the point where he can fire generals, fire uh, defense secretaries, or whatever the the, um, analogy is in their system— but now, at some point, he's running out of people to fire. He's got 80,000 dead. He's, got, he's now on the run in a lot of these regions. They're dropping their uniforms, leaving their equipment. The Ukrainians are picking him up. How vulnerable is he from losing power?
3: That is the big question for the intelligence community. And remember, you know, when Russia's gone to war in uh, 1905, 1917, those losses wound up in revolution. Stalin knew that and was so concerned about it that he mounted a massive purge and killed, you know, 25 million of his own people, uh knowing full well that his generals and his intelligence officers would be the greatest threat to him. Putin knows that. It's his own inner circle, it's his Minister of Defense and those under him and it's his uh the FSB director um Bortnikov and the National Security Advisor Patrushev. Those three are really key and and Look, there were hundreds of attempts to kill Hitler back in the day. None succeeded. I'm sure that Russian senior officials are thinking about it with Putin, and he's a very cagey operator, and he's going to make it hard on them. Whatever they're doing, though, is so incredibly secret and so opaque, it's very difficult for us, even in our intelligence community, to track that. And we could be surprised by a succession crisis where somebody winds up with you know, control over the Russian nuclear, um, the nuclear arsenal. And it might be somebody worse than Vladimir Putin, frankly, if one of those right-wing nationalists, ultra-nationalist hawks uh, succeeds in overthrowing Vladimir Putin, you could be faced with an even more cataclysmic um, humanitarian crisis in Ukraine. They may not hesitate to use tactical nuclear weapons, although there are questions about whether the com- what the command and control is, whether anyone would actually take Putin's order. So all I can tell you is that the situation in Russia and in Ukraine day by day just gets more... Uh, dangerous for the region and beyond.
2: What should we do? Uh, do you think that now's the time to give them everything they need? I know you were in yes. that camp earlier, but now really go for the kill?
3: There's three things this, this the Biden administration needs to do. First of all, own the narrative. The the, the the territory that Russia is now illegally annexing, that's Ukrainian. It, it is Ukrainian. It's always going to be Ukrainian. And if Ukraine wants to fight for that territory, and they do, we should give them all the weapons they need. And we're not. We're not giving them the weapons with the range they need. The he—the HIMARS only have a range of about 50 miles. Uh, there are these army tactical missile systems with a range of 200 miles. The Biden administration's not given Ukraine, and they should. You're absolutely right. We need to give Ukraine all the weapons they need. Third thing we need to do is to go back channel uh, with all of our contacts in the Russian government, in their foreign ministry, their intelligence services, their military, and emphasize, as, as Jake Sullivan did, national security advisor, over the weekend on the TV shows, that that any Russian use of, of weapons of mass destruction, whatever that might be, will be met uh, with a you know will met with catastrophic consequences. The U.S. will take action. I think we should consider Article Five if Russia launches a nuclear attack in European. Uh, territory and remember too that ukrainian forces are not coalesced in a way that any tactical nuclear weapon is going to cause them a lot of damage but it would cause massive damage uh to civilians and to russian soldiers as well you know but hey vladimir putin's never hesitated to throw his own you know under the bus and 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 put them in a position to be killed on his behalf so we have to factor in the likelihood that that might happen but only by taking the fight to russia and winning Will we reduce the likelihood, I know that sounds counterintuitive, of this getting even worse? The longer it goes on, the, the potential for even worse stuff happening grows.
2: Absolutely. So I, I I do want Germany to start paying their way and start providing what they yep. promised, as well as France and others. Uh, I know the U.K. has been strong, but I'm hearing terrible things about Germany not coming across with anything um, meanwhile, uh, it just makes no sense to me because the quicker this ends, the, more, uh, the better, better off they are of getting energy back, but not from Russia, hopefully. I want to get to Iran before you go. Ellie Kohanan is a, one of the many Iranian refugees in our country. She talked about what's going on there uh, and uh, what we could be doing. Cut 30.
11: Jake Sullivan and Joe Biden, they have it exactly wrong. Right now, the people of Iran are out on the streets risking their lives protesting. They are calling for the death of the Ayatollah Khamenei, the supreme leader. They are demanding regime change, basic human rights and freedom. And in essence, they're letting America and President Biden know that this regime has no legitimacy at home.
2: And our point was stop negotiating this new, new deal uh, and just support us. To their credit, they're not doing what with, with, with Obama did, which was nothing, uh, but they are saying that they're condemning, uh, because this woman got killed because she wasn't wearing a hijab right, uh, they killed her. They said she died of a heart attack. No one believes that. So that's what pro- really started these protests, these morale, against the morality police, which is just, uh, just terrible by description. So what do you think is happening on the ground?
3: Well, look, we're seeing the most significant protests since the the green movement in iran we've seen you know reportedly it's very hard to track all these figures but you know hundreds killed thousands arrested and let's be clear the protests the spark was this poor woman who was who was brutally murdered because her hair was out of place uh but really the protests are are coalescing around uh the people's anger over the corruption that, that they see in Iran and their poorly functioning economy. So you could argue that now's not the time uh, to give them a way out economically and open up all sorts of opportunities by eliminating sanctions for this corrupt regime uh, to take in more money and use it uh, on, you know, their proxy terrorists that they that they, arm uh, to fight against us, like Lebanese Hezbollah and, and all the proxy terrorist militants in, in Iraq who are doing their bidding against the government of Iraq and against us as well. Uh, you know, but is there more that we could do? Absolutely. There's more that, that I think the world can be doing right now, um, and we shouldn't be deterred from doing it. You know, This is why Iran wants nuclear weapons, frankly, because they want to be able to have control over the region to launch those terrorist attacks. It's a revolutionary uh, government they want to bring that revolution to the region and beyond uh and they also want to ensure that no one can interfere with their domestic affairs we should be doing absolutely the opposite
2: why do you think we got the abraham accords because we could, we, believe, we agreed on one thing in particular that israel's not the problem iran was and the president uh just doesn't see it that way uh it's 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 uh it's, it's so frustrating uh daniel hoffman thanks so much go to foxnews.com and check out dan's column thanks dan thank you All right. uh, Listen, when we come back, we'll find out if it's indeed a need to know more.
1: Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Breaking news. Unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show.
8: We've got to stop this and realize the power that we have right now. We're going to get two to five new Democratic senators after this election yeah, uh, come November. I really, truly believe that. I believe we're going to keep the House. I think the pundits are all wrong. They're wrong so many times.
2: Well, that is Michael Moore, and that's what, that's what he believes on Bill Maher. And I would believe that, too, if I hung out with the people that, uh, that Michael Moore hangs out with. He believes January 6th is what this election's all about. January 6th is bad as it is uh, and preventable as it was has almost, it's going to have a negligible effect despite the January 6th hearings and the efforts of Liz Cheney and company and Adam Kinzinger, both of which I was very friendly with, played, uh, were always great to interview on the show, but I think they have Trump derangement syndrome Uh, and whatever, whatever goes on. uh, It's not about January 6th, maybe if the economy was better or somewhat like it has been in the past. And. There wasn't an Afghanistan withdrawal the way it was, and you didn't see crime rising the way it is. And you would, suddenly weren't alerted to the fact that the mainstream uh, independents and Democrats weren't alerted to the fact of the collapse of our border. Possibly January 6th, we got bored. and might want to focus on that. But that's in Michael Moore's world, in Hollywood's world, in Democratic circles, the Jamie Raskin group. Uh, good, good luck with that. I, I would say I'll keep that. I'll, I'm more than willing to say I'm wrong if that happens. But they're not losing the House. As of now, the election was today. But who knows what's going to happen around the corner. Let's find out if there's more to know.
1: More to know.
2: Hey, NASA set to crash into an asteroid on purpose. They're set to slam a spacecraft into it. As the Wall Street Journal push notification said, this is not a movie. Why it matters? It is possibly a large space rock that could be found heading towards our planet. Why take chances? What's happening? The first-of-its-kind mission. It's called the, dual, uh, the Double Asteroid Redirection Test. It marks the first true test of whether or not NASA can one day be able to push a potential dangerous asteroid off a collision course with us. We don't want to end up like the dinosaurs. I think we all agree on that. Do we even know what wiped Eric or Pete? Do you know, know what wiped out the dinosaurs? Was it an asteroid? Do we agree on this? I think we do. I think it was an asteroid, and then, you know, there was a whole bunch of volcanic activity that made it warm, too. So the asteroid was the killing blow. Or else the everything was going great for the dinosaurs until that asteroid? From what I understand. From what you know. Uh, so where did it hit, exactly? Is it Grand Canyon? That's my bet. The big one? That that hit in Mexico, the Chicxulub Crater. You think so? I know so. So that's where it happened. That's where we lost the Tyrannosaurus Rex and the T-Rex and the Brontosaurus? I believe so, yeah, down there in that... Um, in that um, peninsula. Wow. Let's hope that doesn't happen again. Do we agree on that? Yeah, I hope so. All right. Uh, The collision is expected at 714, so hold your ears. Next, Nostradamus, my favorite predictor of things since Gene Dixon's passing. Um, A book sales is skyrocketing after a prediction that Queen Elizabeth would die at 96 now, the book is interpreting the prophecies of the 16th century French astrologer Nostradamus, is flying off the shelves again. The book Nostradamus, The Complete Prophecies for the Future, was published in 2005 and is an interpretation of Nostradamus' less prophecies. Remember the late great planet Earth? Well, they are predicting uh, that she would die at 96 uh, because, but they, this is what they're saying that Prince Charles will abdicate his throne and someone totally surprising will take over. Uh, why? Because they disapproved of his divorce, a man who later they considered unworthy. The people will force out the king of the islands. Men will replace him, who never expected to be king. See, the problem with this is, the kings have no power. We don't care about the king and queen. It's ceremonial. It's like a reality show. Yeah. And then, when Westminster was alive, people cared about king and queens. I mean, these vague, vague predictions. And now, you do you really think Prince Harry is going to become
8: the king? They're going to go over uh, his brother. He
2: doesn't even want to go back to England.
8: No. He's got to worry about his own,
2: you know, being here in America with his what wife. What was Nostradamus' last name? Anderson? Johnson. Probably. I think it was one name like Cher. Cher, thank you. Um, or or uh, who's, who's the one who's having tax problems? Uh, Shakira. Could be Shakira. Yes. Nostradamus Shakira. Next. Dolphins hold up despite some hilarious... There was another butt punt. Did you guys see this? Yes. Here's what they caught. They punted it right... To, this guy punted it right to somebody else's butt. Late in the game, 21-19, uh, in the 21-19 win over the Bills, Dolphins punter Thomas Morsteed punted the ball off the butt of Trent Sherfield. Is this bigger than Mark Sanchez? Let's listen.
1: This is risky. <laughs> and it was... Oh, my goodness. Blocked indeed. And we just told you years and that was number two and look at where it comes in the game
2: and 18 seconds left no timeouts left that's when uh, that's when it happened. Did you see the Bill Dorsey meltdown at the end of the game? I saw that Yeah. what can you do? I
4: yeah, mean they that's... lost
2: one game to the Dolphins. Dolphins yep. going to be good right? Yep. Uh, so much. Hey quarterback Tua can play. Everyone says this guy can't play. Everyone's going to find out about it. They want to trade it Looks said like the guy can play